<laughs> so off we go. We're ready to get started. Uh, tonight we uh, we have a, uh, an interesting uh, shear in the sense that we've got a, one of the shorter shear, shorter shear, more shorter prokim, uh that we're ever going to encounter. I would say that, uh, <laughs> from my point of view, I was I found myself in a very interesting bind. Uh, let's let's read the parak together. Uh, that's all of it, and uh, and then uh, maybe my uh, my dilemma uh, will, will be, if not clear, at least entertaining. Uh, so you can you can follow on the on the screen uh, or whatever you've got. In, in hand, uh, I'm going to read from from my uh, trusty Tanakh here. So our parak, the fourth parak, begins. Vehechaziku sheva nashim beish echad bayom hahu leimor lachmenu nochel v'simlatenu nilbash raki kareishim cha aleinu esof kerpatenu. So if you were at the first horn of the dilemma, uh, is essentially if you're ever looking for an example where technology fails us. <laughs> if you were ever looking for an example of uh, how it is that uh, the division of the chapters of Tanakh was clearly not done by us, um, the first pasuk of this chapter clearly, if you remember last week's shiur, uh, is, is connected to the theme of the dependencies that go wrong. Uh, remember we said last week that... Um, whether politically, economically, um, uh, internally, every 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 source of dependency was not Hashem, and it was all off. So the first pasuk in, in chapter four follows chapters three beautifully because it says that Ziku Sheva Nashim Bishachad. So there are seven. It's, it's the number seven here being a uh, a prototypical uh, Tanakh number to signify uh, a larger number. Uh, at whatever level of counting we're interested in. But the point is, it's really unlikely that seven women would be bidding for the hand of one person and literally be willing to give up their ksuba and everything else uh, so as to esof uh, kerpatenu. And so the first horn of the dilemma was really, so how do you start with a, with a, uh, with a pasuk that belongs in the previous <coughs> chapter, at least in terms of content, and then switches over as you'll see now, just very, very strangely and dramatically, to a, 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 apparently, uh, unless someone cares to tell me differently, an entirely different uh, matter, and a, an entirely different theme. So here are the remaining psukim, five of them. So on that day, uh, the fruit or the, or the, the growth of, uh, of Hashem, which can either be literally the fruits of Eretz Yisrael, according to Mepharshim, or Am Yisrael itself, will be um, a matter of great beauty and great dignity. Ufri Haaretz, which again can be taken either literally or symbolically, Legaon, everybody will know about it. It's not everyone's going to become a Goyen, but uh, uh, what, what, what makes for a Gaon is that somebody, something or someone is well known. And now here's something really inspirational for all of us sitting here. 
at least in, in theory. After Jewish history has taken its course, those who remain in Zion, or Zion, in case you had any doubts as to what Zion is referring to, this is the people who remain in Yerushalayim, so from Yeshayahu's point of view, there's something inherently holy about the people hanging out here. And they're living at a different spiritual life. And here's where Yeshayahu really, uh, this is the center uh, of, the, of the, the parak and his point of Musar. So if you remember back last week when we spoke about uh, the haughty women of Yerushalayim uh, who were supposed to be more involved with tzedakah and leading the infrastructure of Kla Yisrael rather than uh, their own uh, uh, attractiveness, so to speak, or their ability to to attract men, which again, so how ironic is it that we begin off with seven women trying to compete for the hand of one man, uh, you know, and they don't really care about uh, any material wealth that they can save for themselves. This is really, again, Yeshayahu turning the tables on us. And uh, I, will, I, I will tell you right now that the theme of the evening, if you uh, happen to see the notice, is this expression that absolutely just had me fascinated all week. What in the world does Ruach Mishpat mean? The winds of justice, or the spirit of justice. Uvu Ruach Ba'er, which is uh, a cleansing wind. And then, uh, so that's, that's the core, you know, if you divided this it, it, like you would a piece of poetry. Um, uh, if I, I move my cursor over here, we're over here. So this Pusik over here is really the center of the, of the, whole, the whole matter. And then the last clues, closing... Uh, Tupsukim, uh, which are just gorgeous Yeshayahu, uh, talks about what happens after everybody has been cleansed, whatever cleansing means, which we'll see in a moment. Does that sound familiar to anybody? HaKadosh Baruch Hu will create, right? God doesn't create all that often, uh, but here Yeshayahu has, has him creating after everything's been cleansed, on the hot top of Hartzion and all its uh, suburbs, all its area around, Anan Yomam Vashan Venoga Havalaila. Sound familiar to anybody? That's right, Anan Yakovod in Yitzias Mitzrayim. This is a redemptive language if you, could, if you were looking for it. Kialkol Kavod Chupa. And not only that, uh, there's going to be a Chupa uh, that's going to be adorning all the people who are living here. And, and if, if the imagery isn't sufficient, he then says, v'sukatiyelitzel yomam mechorev. That's very... <laughs> talk about Bashar, here we are trembling in the Yerushalayim winter cold, and we're talking about a, uh, a sukkah that's going to keep us, uh, uh, you know, uh, nice and comfortable in the, in the temperatures of the, of the heat of the day or at night. And this sukkah, which is, of course, if you think about sukkahs and everything we know about sukkahs, the Ananea Kavod, this is all right here in the fourth parak of, of Yeshayahu. And we're going, to be, we're going to be huddled under these sukkot, uh, and we'll be feeling safe, and we'll be, uh, uh, we'll be pre- well protected from the rains and from all other uh, external disturbances. So this is a very short and very beautiful parak. And so my first dilemma 
was, as I said, the first Pesach seems to be uh, part of the, at least the theme of the, the previous one. Why give a shear uh, that's starting there? And the other one was that um, this really sort of teeny tiny chapter, or what's left of it, is found right before next week's Perak, which is one of the most famous and most gorgeous prakim and most well-known prakim in Yeshayahu, is Yeshayahu's Song of the Kerem, the Song of the Vineyard. So, you know, you know from my standpoint, it's like, okay, which way do I go? Do I go back? Do I go forward? And, I, and then I got caught up, as I said, on this Ruach Mishpat thing, and uh, I, 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 I got fascinated by that, and you'll have to suffer along with me, or not. You can doze off if you like. Uh, first piece of business, though, is uh, just <coughs> explaining uh, some fundamentals about uh, the business of these, uh, these women uh, hanging on to men. And it turns out that there's really a fascinating uh, uh, discussion and disagreement amongst the Mepharshim as to when this really occurred. Um, if I were a little bit more adept, which hopefully I'll, I'll get as we, as we move, get used to using the screen, I would show you a pasuk in Divrei Ayomim, which clearly says that Pekach ben Ramalyahu, who we met before, remember he was one of the kings who, uh, who created a... Um, he created a coalition against, against the king of, of, of Yehuda and apparently killed off... I'll read you the pasuk because I've got it on my sheet here. This is Divrei. If you want to look in your Tanakh, this is Divrei Hayomim Bet, Perek Chavchet twenty-eight, verses six and seven. In the civil war that Pekach brought an Aramite um, coalition against Yehuda, or Judah, uh, they killed off hundred and twenty thousand warriors. This is, you know, shield, sword-carrying guys, all in one day. So not only was the number of casualties on the side of Judah and Yerushalayim, uh, there were 120,000 casualties, but the king's son was killed, and the... Uh, two or three of the king's top men were also killed in the same battle. Hence, uh, at least in terms of uh, one might imagine using Divrei Hayomim as the background for Perik Dalid, we understand where all these widows came from uh, because uh, if that, that's an astonishing amount of loss touching every part of society. The Abarbanel brings this down and he also says, well, there's a Medrash and the Medrash chooses Medrash Rabbah, I think it is, uh, that decided that that's not what was going on here, and this is really talking about the destruction of first base of Mikdash, and it's actually talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and the reason that uh, these women are free on the streets, so to speak, looking for a husband, is because, oddly enough, Nebuchadnezzar has his own set of rules that he plays his game by. And according to the, uh, the Abarbanel's understanding of the Medrash, uh, what what Nebuchadnezzar decreed was that uh, you're not allowed to mess with women, uh, who, uh, Jewish women who are married. The single ones are, are fair game. So you have all these women trying to get under the umbrella of someone so that they can escape the ravages of war by Nebuchadnezzar. 
So uh, by that, I think I've discharged my responsibility, at least to that, that first pasuk. And now move on to the, uh, the business of this cleansing. Over here again. So what does it mean that the Midotzion, we talked about them last week, uh, they're going to be cleansed outwardly. The blood of Yushalayim that's there is going to be uh, cleansed by Ruach Mishpat. I think I've made my case for the my interest in Ruach Mishpat, which I'll get to. But we have some music. So, we have the winds of justice, or the spirit of justice, and uh, they're blowing in on us here. Winds of change. Winds of change, winds yeah. Of change. You know, for goodness sake, are we not, are we not very much in this, in the time of, uh, of great change on every level? See if I can retrieve. Here we are. Okay, we're back over here. I'm not sure. Well, let's see if I just enlarge. Yeah, right. So we have at least uh, three or four uh, different ideas about how this cleansing is. And how it takes place in, in its locus. Uh, fascinating is the Targum Yonason, who says that it's the Spirit of God, the Memar of Hashem. Memar is in Lemor to speak. God's word, whatever that means, is the cleansing agent that's blowing in the wind. Rashi uh, does something that has, it's, it's interesting to see how Rashi influenced not just the way we read things. But Rashi had his own Beit Medrash, and there were generations of Jews learning in, in France um, in the 11th century, in, uh, you know, who were in the 12th century, who were, uh, who were Rashi students. 
and Rashi said that this wind, uh, the wind of, uh, of Mishpat, are Yisurim. That when people suffer, they become cleansed. It's a, it's a frightening interpretation of, of Yishayahu. In other words, the winds of change are, are winds that cause people to suffer. Um, his student, uh, the Marie Kra, who lived uh, 1065 to 1135 in Rashi's hometown, uh, said that it's Dafka, the women, who are the, the ones who are going to suffer. He connects it to last week's chapter, and he's laid it all on the, on the women. Uh, the Rib Mibelgensi, who's 12th century France, um, says, well, no, it's the men and the women. It's the leaders that we spoke about last week who didn't dispatch justice in the proper way. They were going to suffer. Uh, the Radak goes back to the Targum Yonasen, and he says, well, the cleansing is because of something that God says. The point here is that all of these, as you line them up, and they're all uh, just for uh, conversation's sake and to introduce you to an idea that has its own fascination. All the French school, the Germanic school, has all of this about the locus. God is bringing the winds of change. Listen to the Abarbanel, who lives after the expulsion. He's part of the expulsion from Spain. Listen very carefully. And this, when I, when I saw this, I was, I, I was really just about to, to dance around my living room. The cleansing and, the, and, and all this, uh, the winds of change, what does that really mean, says Abarbanel? That the Almighty will put in the hearts of the, the leaders, in the hearts of the women, so in other words, this, this, if you catch the subtlety and the nuance here, God's in the picture, but the real change that's really happening is not through the winds of suffering or the winds of war or whatever else you might imagine the winds to bring, but it's something about an inspiration, the spirit rather than the wind, which is... If you think about uh, Bob Dylan's song, there's, a, there's a, a prettiness to that. People are inspired. The women are inspired differently. The men, male leadership is inspired differently. And they clean, the cleansing happens through themselves. They wake up, they smell the coffee, they realize that they need to change and they need to be agents of change for the Jewish people. Uh, I thought we'd take a moment here. Let's see how we're doing with time. We're pretty good. Um, even though we started a minute late, <laughs> uh, uh, to look, at, have a look at what the Tanakh itself says about the word ruach, um, and and what ruach uh, uh, typically means. Uh, there's a there's a fascinating Zohar Kadosh that uh, in Yecheskel Lamed Zion that says ruach is the uh, is the password for Mashiach. So when you see uh, ruach chachma, ruach bina, all of that, you should think about the Ruach uh, being a reference to the Mashiach. Now remember, we're talking Yeshayahu, whose primary king, the man that he's speaking to most of his career, is, is uh, King Chizkiyahu, who we've learned in the past who is supposed to be the Mashiach. So the Zohar is really absolutely very close to the text, close to the times. If we go back to the, uh, to the Chumash Bereshit, and we go back to look about uh, the, the business of, 
of Mishpat, um, we have, uh, of course, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Avram Avinu, when he, when he promises him something that we'll get back to at the end, so the wind or the spirit of justice which prevailed in Avraham and his children is really the agent of change. That's the substantive issue and the substantive agreement, so to speak, between the heavens and the earth. Avraham Avinu and his children, that would be us, uh, we're going to carry this idea that mishpat, social justice, is so important, and that's the that's the core of the brit. That changes uh, the world forever in terms of Avraham's revolution, uh, moving away from pagan self-interest. If you look at Sefer Shemot, um, and you look about uh, mishpat, uh, you have Parshat Ve'ela Mishpatim, which comes what right after Mamad Har Sinai. So if you ask, say, for Shemot, so to speak, well, why did God show up on Har Sinai? Uh, well, it wasn't for all the fireworks. It was really all about Parshat Mishpatim, which follows it. So again, Mishpatim is, in, in terms of, uh, you know, the Ruach and the Spirit, uh, it's all there. The, the Radak, as long as we mentioned her earlier, we'll, we'll go back to him again, uh, just for a moment, and he, he says that, uh, he, he turns uh, in the direction of Mashiach and says that ultimately the Ruach Mishpat, the sense of justice, will be what the, the Mashiach will be doing, not just amongst the Jewish people, but he famously says here, V'yashlim ben goy l'goy. So when we, read, when we read about Loisa goy el goy cherev, it will be because the Mashiach, it's not just people are suddenly going to decide that war is a silly idea, it's because the Mashiach is going to set down the law to them, again, Mishpat. And Mishpat is, again, this, whether you think it's spirit or where you think it's the winds of Mishpat, the cleansing that happens, Beruach Mishpat, is really no nonsense. It's really what changes, from Yeshayahu's point of view, it's what changes the reality in the world that we live in. Now, I... Uh, And is not here, so I get to speak in English. <laughs> so the Ben Cole asks, and there were too many words here for me to put into Yiddish anyways. You have entirely ignored verse 2. I understand that verse 1 is arguably misplaced and may be part of chapter 3, but how is Bayom Hau Yet Semach Hashem Lagaun El Tiferet, all the beautiful fruits, all the beautiful things that are going to be happening in the land, connected to the winds of justice? I don't understand the connection between verses 5 and 6 and justice either. How are the return of the clouds that protected our forefathers in their sojourn in the desert, or a chuppah like sukkah, related to these cleansing, wings of, cleansing winds of justice? Do you get the question? It's like, okay. I mean, isn't Semach connected to Mashiach also? So Ruach and Semach? It, it, it could be. If you think about in nature, the, the winds and the, and the rain, uh, the winds yeah. do bring the rain. And Mashiach, Semach in Yishayahu is also code for Mashiach. Yeah. Uh, so in order to start answering the, the Ben Cole's uh, significantly difficult, challenging questions, uh, I feel like I'm asking myself the fear. Gosh, 
Uh, let's go back to Perak Aleph in, in Yeshayahu. I'm reading from verse 16. If you've got a, a Tanakh, this would be a good time uh, to look at it. Um, go back to chapter 1 here. Let me, let me lend you mine here so that you can just quickly get, get yourselves there because it's, it, it'll hit you right over the head. What does Yeshayahu say in, in verse 16? Rachatsu, hizaku, right? We're, we're talking about a cleansing, right? Hasiru ro malechem in Yeah, chapter 1, verse 16. <coughs> one sixteen. You've got Sydney. So, in 16, what's Yishayahu saying? Cleanse yourselves. And notice, this is, this is now, who's doing the cleansing? This is not God do, doing cleansing. This is Yeshayahu telling us to do the cleansing. Take your evil deeds out of, out of my face, so to speak. Stop doing evil. And then look at the next psikir. In case you want to know what Yeshayahu's version of cleansing is about, it's in the word mishpat, it's in Perak Aleph, and he's telling you, what does that look like? That means like taking care of the poor, taking care of the, uh, taking care of, uh, of, the, of the widows, taking care of orphans, taking care of the, the poor. And then uh, I'm, I, I'm telegraphing the end of the shear here, uh, in the next two psukim there. L'chuv adunai im kashanim yalbinu if you really whiten this stuff, if you bleach it out, if you really clean it out, clean, clean your axe up, so to speak, remember back when we were in So there's the pre there right back in Perak Aleph, right? So saying that, you know, if, if you really do follow you're going to eat tufaretz. Tufaretz are the best fruits of the land. So, what is all this cleansing about? And, and, and how does mishpat change things in, in such a dramatic way? There's a Yerushalmi which quotes this idea of cleansing, and it, and it speaks to it in a very interesting manner. This is a Yerushalmi in Rosh Hashanah in the fourth parak. And the Yushalmi is talking about Rosh Hashanah and the davening on Rosh Hashanah and famously the most important part of the davening on Rosh Hashanah, which is namely Seder Malchios. Everything on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, for that matter, is essentially tied to Hamlochas HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Yushalmi asks, you know, well, how do you do Malchios? So it says, Matkil Torah Umashlim Banavi Rabbi Yossi Omeri Mishlim Batorah Yotzeh So there's, there's a discussion about the Psukim. And then the, the, there's a requirement that there be ten. And then the, the Gemara there in the Yushalmi says, um, miyudzich, uh, what, what are, this, what are the, uh, these, these ten psukim uh, about? And the, uh, the Gemara says, it follows the viduyim sh'amar Yushayahu in Perik Aleph. Rachatu, hizaku, hasiru. There are ten different verbs describing the cleansing process in the first parak of Yeshayahu. So Perik 4, chapter 4, refers back to pe- no, uh, chapter 1 and, and takes those ten different forms of cleansing 
and puts it in the center of the matter of Mishpat and how Mishpat is connected to Tshuva and to returning to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, if we look in Tanakh, the history of Mishpat, as, as Yeshayahu saw it, uh, was a very interesting. Let's remember now, who are the models for Yeshayahu when he's thinking about justice? So Yeshayahu is the, is the nephew of, of uh, the King Amatia. He's part of the Davidic uh, uh, kings of Israel. So when you look back to David, for instance, and you look back to Shlomo about justice, you find some fascinating things that help us understand this very interesting conundrum about cleansing and tshuva and mishpat. What was David HaMelech's idea of, of mishpat? So the Gemara in Sanhedrin is very critical of David, and part of the way that takes off is because David's son of Shalom, who, who uh, had... who uh, uh, revolted against his father, uh, if you go back to Shmuel Bet and read the psukim about what, uh, how Avshalom presented his case, he stood where? He stood at the Shar. He stood at the gate of the city where all the adjudication of the law and disputes was, were held. And he said to the... the oh, mosquito turned up. <laughs> and he says to the people, my father has no time for you. And by the way, my father is a terrible judge. My father is a terrible judge. If you, if you elect me, you know, if you have me uh, take over from my dad, uh, no worry, I will bring mishpat. I will bring justice. What's wrong with David's form of justice? Uh, according to the Gemara and the Sanhedrin, David HaMelech being David HaMelech um, would adjudicate a case, and then uh, when the person who lost th- their case went back home, they found David HaMelech or one of his messengers bringing them the amount of money that they had to pay to the winner of the case. Um, in other words, David, according to the Gemara in Sanhedrin, um, had a conflated tzedakah u mishpat. You know, he was, it, it wasn't real, you know, justice is, is famously blind, right? And, but David said, it, it, it's fine that it could be blind, but it can't be deaf and dumb. The other guy's leaving court, he's leaving my, 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 uh, my chambers, and he's upset that he's had to pay all this money, so I'll, I'll, make him, I'll make him whole, as lawyers like to say. Then you think about Shlomo HaMelech. What was Shlomo HaMelech's idea of justice? Well, uh, we, when we taught uh, Shmuel Bet uh, years ago, we, we, we took apart the case, the famous case of slicing the baby in half. Well, if you're a student of Choshen Mishpat, uh, you would throw Shlomo HaMelech out of, out of class, because that's called Shuda Dedaini. Shuda Dedaini means that the judge looks at the case, he decides not to rely on witnesses, he doesn't really essentially care about the facts so much, he has an instinct about how to get things done, the way to bring things to, the, to a head, so to speak. So what does Shlomo HaMelech does, it do? He calls for the sword, he says, let's slice the baby in half, and we'll make some kind of pshara, we'll make some kind of, or at least I'll raise the, the notion that somehow I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to satisfy both sides but it's, it's entirely provocative. In other words, if you're Yeshayahu and you're looking for what Mishpat looks like, uh, David and Shlomo are not exactly uh, you know, the, the, the greatest examples of how to get that done. So we've created uh, one gap between Mishpat and the Jewish people. The other gap has to do with the world of Tshuva. Uh, the world of Tshuva, we know, there's only so much we can be expected to do. 
we can uh, have awareness of what we've done, we can, we can apologize, we can do Kabbalah Lahaba, we can, we can hope to do better. But at the end of the day, according to the Rambam and pretty much everyone else, and particularly the Medrash Tanhuma and, and seminally uh, the Rabbeinu Yonah, who wrote the, the famous book Shari Tshuva, we don't really get to Tshuva without God's giving a, God giving us a hand. God's outstretched hand really bridges the world of tshuva between the sinner and Akadosh Baruch Hu. I'll read you just a, a, um, a bit here. So, uh, the Tanhuma, this is in Parshas Vayera, referring again to Avram Avinu. Why is Avram Avinu in the picture? Well, because, like I said to you in the beginning, I think that in many ways Yeshayahu is every bit, if not more, connected to Taurus Avram Avinu as he is to Taurus Moshe. The Tanhuma says, Again, the cleansing business, right, to, the, to, the, to his visitors. It's a deal, but if, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Avram Vinu, now you're going to do tzedek and mishpat, uh, I'll repay tzedek and mishpat, I will bring this ruach, uh, that will cleanse everything that's that's gone wrong, and also I'm going to clean it up because you cleansed, uh, you offered these uh, these strangers, you wanted to, to to wash their feet. Says Rabbeinu Yona in in Shari Tshuva, Ashrei Adam lo Avon vein beruko Happy is the man who is a straight arrow. Uchinyan habeged atzarich kibus. Rabbeinu Yona over and over goes goes back on this idea that uh, clean, that tshuva is about cleansing a garment. And then he says the, the, the very idea that we've been talking about. He says uh, that if you, and anybody who's ever done laundry, uh, or tried to do laundry knows this, uh, that it's very good to get out some of the... St- I got him. You got him? Okay, good. We'll see if he comes back next week. <laughs> People listening to this on Spotify would be wondering why we're we're we're, we're so focused on this on this mosquito. In any case, so so according to Rabbi Yona, it makes good sense if you've ever laundered anything that if you can get some of the stains out first before you put it in the washing machine, that's that that guarantees a better or, or the best job that you're going to get. So Rabbeinu Yona has this, again, partnership. It's up to us to do what we can to sort of, you know, uh, bleach out what we can before we put it in, in God's winds, uh, cl- cleansing winds. Uh, the Navi Malachi, in the third parak, uh, in, in, in the Sefer that bears his name, uh, puts it about as simply and as elegantly as you can when he said, Shuvah Eli, Shuvah Aleichem. If you come to me, you meet me, I don't know, about halfway, but if you do your part, I'll do my part, and I guarantee you tshuva. So tshuva, you know, because it's one of the things that, that predated the creation of the world, tshuva kodma la'olam, is an essential promise. So think about it. Here we have uh, this gap between the mishpat uh, that we mentioned earlier. Where does, where does mishpat start? Does it really start with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or does it start with us? Is the, is the Arbanel got it right, that it's really Hashem inspiring us, and people, the Benotzion and the leaders, realize that it's up to us to bring about justice, to restore justice? Or is it all brought about by the winds of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? 
I think if you're following the, the, the flow here, what we've really got here are two parallel situations and, and concepts that are really intrinsically bound together and are really at the heart of Sefer Yeshayahu. Mishpat being one, where we finally get around to doing Mishpat because we get it, and the same thing being true about Tshuva. So I left the, the business of the Chuppah and the, and the Anan and all of that dangling, and I'm going to try and tie that together now uh, and just read you just one char- paragraph that I wrote here. So as, as such, our small chapter cre- contains a giant idea about social change. Isaiah's spirit of Mishpat is not reserved for Mashiach alone. Remember, we went through all the sources that talked about that. In other words, it, the, it's really the wind of change that comes through Hashem, through the coming Mashiach. He will certainly do the job if we won't. Isaiah's radical view of justice, and that's what I've called it, he has a radical view of justice. And why is it radical? It, it not only calls out to leaders and women. If he entered the door right now, and I was writing this, I was imagining this, what if Eliyahu, I, Eliyahu, that's uh, a... It's a Pesach slip. Uh, if Yeshayahu entered the door right now, uh, he might point to the polarized world that we live in, the gap, right? Tshuva, Mishpat. And what would he say to us? He might want to know, for instance, how Jews living in the same country cannot join hands to better provide help for the impoverished people of Israel. He would want to know what we're doing for the Yisomim and Almonos and why so many people in the country still live in poverty political issues aside. He might also want to know why we don't have a united celebration for those who have finally completed the Dafyomi cycle. Just saying. Finally, he would explain to us that the imagery that the Ben Kol asked about, namely the reference to the clouds of smoke and fire, the sukkah and the chuppah, are all expressions of a degree of divine protection and security that we are promised in chapter 1. Remember? Rachatsu, he's a and he says, right? Once again, Yeshayahu reminds us there is a binary, absolute aspect to divine just judgment. If we do our part to restore Mishpat, Hashem promised to provide the rewards of divine protection. Oops, we lost it. But uh, the Pasuk there was Upri Haaretz Liga'onul Tiferet. There it is. I move the cursor over there. See, Priharetz. Yeah. So that's essentially the, the same as Tufa'aretz uh, Tochelu. The fruits that come with social justice await our joint efforts. Isaiah's seminal song of the vineyard awaits our meeting in Mirzashem next week. Shavuot to all of you, and thank you for braving the cold weather. Thank you.